We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. It is Combine Week, so we are going to dig into the Combine, breaking down our players to watch for this week in Indianapolis, all the latest news out of there. And we are also going to get into some best ball discussion, talking some underdog, talking some guys that were fading in the first five rounds of best ball drafts. Let's get it rolling. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, again presented by our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. Use that promo code RWNFL. Get your first deposit matched over at Underdog up to $100. You also get a six-month subscription over to Roadwire.com when you use that promo code. Pretty sweet deal. Go ahead, make the most of that. Uh, Mario, it is Combine Week. Are you excited? Yeah, I mean, it feels a little weird because uh, all the hoopla starts like right now, earlier in the, and even a little earlier in the week. But uh, it's not even going to be until like Saturday and Sunday, right, that the receivers and running backs go. So uh, <laughs> for fantasy purposes, anyway, we we have a bit of a a weight on our hands. Although the the general like you know first round, second round draft order certainly will uh, be pending a lot of these weigh ins, testing for these like defensive players offensive linemen yeah absolutely so they seem to have flipped things around if i remember correctly that the pass catchers went on thursday of combine week last year and it seems like they've kind of gone away from the prime time deal with 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 the combine where whereas like last year they're going later on in the day i think that it's going to be like three three eastern for thursday friday and then one eastern um, for Saturday and Sunday, like you said, when the skill guys, when the offensive guys are going to be going. Um, quickly, before we, we kind of start to uh, d- discuss the the players from a fantasy perspective that, that we're looking at from the combine, what did you make of potential number one overall pick, Jalen Carter, and the, the developments coming out of Athens as of Wednesday morning? Huh, uh, well, I definitely don't know much about the case, and uh, I'm no lawyer so i uh i shouldn't rule out anything in particular i guess but i don't know it doesn't doesn't seem like that much to me 
uh, it's not good, obviously, but probably not the kind of thing that changes what otherwise was going to happen anyway. Uh, I am, I was just anyway skeptical about him going first overall. I mean, not to, not that I like, not that I'm against it exactly, but I, I definitely wasn't my first thought looking at the draft or I think Will Anderson is clearly the best player in the draft. So uh, unless Anderson has like a total disaster combine and, you know, turns himself into a Jarvis Jones kind of prospect or something in the process, uh, I, I would have had Carter behind him anyway. But uh, I don't know, maybe maybe if maybe, maybe it really is enough to maybe Carter really was going to go first and maybe this really is all that it takes for that to not be the case. But it's also worth keeping in mind that there's that, uh, I don't know, was it Schefter? Somebody was reporting that uh, the Bears are expected to trade the first pick. Not that I know what that's based on. There, there could be there could be a reason for the Bears to lie about that or for someone else to lie about it or whatever, or just not know what they're talking about. But uh, if the Bears trade that pick, Carter is definitely not going first. And uh, if, if he's just maybe his floor at that point is just wherever the Bears trade down to. I don't know. But uh, I, I could imagine Carter not going first in any case. And I can imagine the narrative being like, oh, it's because of this uh, legal issue, whereas I, I don't think it's likely to be the reason if it does happen. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a game wrecker uh, on the interior um, as far as like his talent goes, but that that doesn't often uh, translate into being the the number one overall pick. I think Anderson on a snap to snap basis can probably do a little bit more to to affect the game. I, I don't think that Anderson really kind of took the the next step statistically that I was expecting uh, th- this past though, year. Because mm. he can't have thirty sacks in a year, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess my expectation was off. Well, no, I mean, um, I know that's not what you were expecting, but it, you're right that that's, that's like the general tone that a lot of the Anderson uh, narrative has is people are kind of like, well, he's, you know, he's kind of boring now. And it's like, well, if he's that good as a sophomore, just kind of maybe be prepared to just stand by, unless they play badly or something. But it's like with Anderson, it's like, dang, what, couldn't you get us 28 tackles for loss, really? What is this stuff? 17. Uh, yeah, kind of, it, it kind couldn't of, have been much better. There, Will. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Carter, Carter too, the weird thing about it is there was so much, um, there was like, so, it was so early and so much finality to the tone of, of the reports about him going first overall that it was like, I don't even know if anyone can be this sure about anything this early. So I, I definitely didn't buy it along those grounds. But uh, yeah, it's at, at the very least, for a guy to have had, um, I mean, the parallel you're going to see is to Trayvon Walker in the sense that like Jalen Carter didn't really put up numbers at Georgia. Uh, but the Georgia defense was awesome when he was out there, et cetera, et cetera. Trayvon Walker went first because it was like a weak class in general at the time, or, you know, at the time it was believed to be kind of weak at the top. And uh, he literally had just like the best workout numbers ever. So that's kind yep. of like the fold I needed from Carter to get that same level of like top three certainty. And he could still do that. Uh, but that's kind of what I needed from him to be quite as high on him as like the general consensus seems to be. Right, and now it's not really looking like he's going to be working out uh, at the combine. So, I mean, we'll see what happens over these next couple of weeks. But that and, would be uh, the harm, you know. if any. But uh, mm-hmm. it's also possible that it doesn't really. Maybe, it's possible they already know everything about him. You know, like the way they knew about all those Alabama guys, and none of them run, none of them ran the forty a couple of years ago. It, it might be kind of like that. Yeah, and uh, the, there still is the the Georgia Pro Day uh, set for for later this month. But yeah. you know, kind of, kind of. Uh, 
and again, with developing situation, we're, we're not going to spend the in, entire pod putting on our lawyer hats and, and coats and so on. Um, but if the Bears were to, to move off of the number one pick, uh, presumably that would be for a quarterback. But Mario, in your mind, is there a quarterback in this class that's worth that? Um, not generally, no. I don't want to like say no for sure, but for me, the options are just down to C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson, and I'm not sure what to believe with either of them. I mean, with Stroud, in theory, the risk can only be so much. I, I guess it's possible that he's straight up bad, but in general, it would be pretty impressive for or it would be amazing, at least for a quarterback to be bad and produce the way Stroud has. Um, at the same time, he's not obviously toolsy. It wouldn't shock me if, if uh, Stroud's like 6'2", 215 or something like that, which is traditionally not the kind of build you see in the first 15 picks or even 20, really. Um, and from that angle, he is vulnerable to Anthony Richardson, who should be something like 6'3", 235 or something. And at that weight, uh, he said he's going to do all the testing. A lot of times things get set along those lines and then the players back off of it and, you know, it just turns out to be, you know, not true. But uh, if Richardson does all the testing, especially the athletic testing, he's going to do well. And uh, I don't know if Stroud can really do anything to, to gain, to, to protect uh, ground being gained from that angle. But then I, I also don't know enough about Richardson as a passer. Like I, he, he pretty seems rough. pretty raw, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, there are people who. So I don't know that much about playing quarterback. Uh, there are some people who I trust who do know more about playing quarterback who insist there are certain things that he's doing well that you know people like me can't really see, and you know things that he's doing well that aren't turning into good results because of the circumstances around him, and that if the circumstances had been slightly different, would have had much better results. I don't know much about that, but I do think, especially with a case like Josh Allen, not that this is like a, a model to make general policy policy off of uh, Josh Allen had a lot of trouble at Wyoming. Like it wasn't just, it wasn't just like, Oh, he's kind of hit or miss. It's, it wasn't like, Oh, he's, he's doing great. Except for that completion percentage being pescally low. It was like, it, there's like train wrecks all the time with him in that Wyoming offense. And uh, if he were the same player at Wyoming that he is in the NFL, he would be a bad player in the NFL. So um, when you have tools of that sort of that magnitude, it is worth remembering that any improvements in like the skill level, any improvement in the, 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 the competency of actually just playing the position that a great athlete undergoes will yield much more returns in production than a less toolsy player. Like if a less, less toolsy player has a light bulb go on, it still might not mean that much. Like they might just be still too small, too slow, but um, if Anthony Richardson does make the kind of jump that Josh Allen did, it could have, in theory, similar repercussions because you're talking, you know, the, the basic dynamics of the, the really far downfield, high velocity downfield throwing arm and the frame plus rushing ability to, uh, you know, discourage the defense from blitzing too much and, and you know, shedding pass rushers to, to convert first downs when, when the coverage succeeds. So stuff like that Richardson could be really good at. And it's like Stroud. Um, I don't know. Like his ceiling seems like it would be almost like a. I don't know what this would mean exactly. Golf. It sounds insulting. I was gonna say I was gonna, like rich man's golf, which still sounds like an insult, but it's like maybe maybe if golf were a little better, he wouldn't be Jared Goff. I don't know. Uh, pe- people people have come back around on, on golf. I think people have 
Maybe. Uh, he's, he's, he's not very good. Like, you get a elite offensive line and good receivers, good play calling. He, he should do what he's done. But uh, so, yeah, for the Lions specifically, I don't know how they play that. I mean, they could, in theory, they could use either Stroud or, you know, for all I know, Levis or Bryce Young. Uh, I just don't take Young uh, as seriously as most people because I, I just don't think uh, – I don't think he's as good as – even as a college quarterback, I don't see it as, as good as a lot of people talk. Like, I feel like he's uh, – well, we'll get. Sorry, to- I was just going to say, yeah. I, I think it'll be Richardson or, or, or Stroud who are the first overall worthy, but I guess it could be Young. I just doubt it. Okay, so, all right. Continue on with, with, with Bryce Young. Oh, I just, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it is a, it is concerning enough that his frame is completely unprecedented. And even as far as like the Kyler Murray justification someone might make again, frame's very different. The tools are very different, just totally different players. And um, with Young, I also think his, even like his college play has come to get, uh, become a little bit like romanticized almost like, Oh, he's that lovable, scrappy, undersized quarterback who was so great at Alabama. It's like he was really good at Alabama. He wasn't better than like Mac Jones or Tua Tunga by Loa. I read at least I don't know why anyone would say that he was. And um, when I watched the tape of him, like yeah, he makes a lot of great college throws, but I, there's there's not much like velocity there. There's a lot of loft to a lot of these throws, and some of these throws that turn out so well uh, with him, these these like downfield jump ball kind of things. Some of those will land incomplete too, and when they do, it's it's like really close to being a disaster. And I don't know if there's ever going to be a time in the NFL where he has the same like, you know, cumulative personnel advantage that he had in the Alabama offense versus whatever defense that he's facing. And if he doesn't have that structural advantage, I think some of these good results, lofty downfield throws that he makes could instead just be total disasters in different conditions. And uh, that's not even getting to the to what it means that he's probably something like 5'11", 190 or something. And uh, it may, that's probably rounding up, by the way. It's like I, it is possible that he's the same height as Kyler Murray, more or less. So uh, I don't know. It's it's weird to me that there's this sort of um, there's like this assumption that you're greeted with on the subject of Bryce Young as if like, well, you have to admit he's really great, except for how small he is. And I don't think that's as clearly true as a lot of people suppose. And in my personal opinion, I don't suppose it's true at all. So I just point blank do not get it. I I could be totally wrong. I've been totally wrong plenty of times. But uh, for me, this Bryce Young first overall assumption is total nonsense. I think this I think this uh, is is a status quo that gets obliterated so soundly in the near future that people barely remember it at all. You know, going the way of like. Darnold was expected to be the first pick until, you know, right before mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield was like, that isn't even on the table to me. I think it's going to be like, we know in like four days that someone's going to come out and kind of be like to the main press. Like, yeah, we were kind of just, we were making that up. Uh, I probably fall a little bit more in the the camp that, that you mentioned where it's like, he's great, but the frame is just not really NFL worthy. I think at he's least quite good. Pick. I don't want to make it sound like he's bad. I just, I was expecting to see like, you know, lights out throws like in, including like more arm strength specifically. Like I didn't see that much zip watching him. Yeah. I think, I think that's definitely fair. Um, I, I went back and I watched the, uh, it, it wasn't even for the express purpose of watching Bryce young necessarily, but sometimes it, I'll watch the, the full 
broadcast of the 2021-22 national championship game. Watch the <laughs> entire thing. Um, and I did uh, the other night. Uh, needed, needed to relax, unwind. So threw that on on Sunday night. And God, he, stri- he strikes fear in me, though. I mean, he just the way that he, the accuracy, the downfield accuracy, the decision making, it's all pretty crazy, I thought. Um, and it, I thought that there were some plays in that game where, you know, if it's Jamison Williams or John Mechie on the uh, on the receiving end, as opposed to, uh, you know, freshman Jojo Earl, Ja'Cory Brooks, maybe that game goes a little bit differently. I mean, I mean, the way that he was able to feather the ball in, like you said, that that doesn't really um, go back to, to him having the arm strength. And again, when when he doesn't have the arm strength and he also just has the extremely you know, basically unprecedented uh, small frame. It's concerning, and and so it, he's tricky. It, it's it's a weird quarterback year where like Stroud is yeah. kind of like the the most like high floor, um, and then Bryce Young and and Anthony Richardson are so boom or bust because Richardson terrible numbers, and like there there's some times where it's like what what are we even doing here? Uh, he couldn't even, and maybe this is partially Dan Mullen's fault, but. It's not even beating out Emory Jones for the starting job in 2021. Like what what's what's going on there? And then this past year, just awful yards per attempt, awful completion percentage. But you can still, if you squint hard enough, you can definitely see where where that potential lies. And I, I I'd be lying if I said if if I at certain points I didn't think that he was anything more than like fancy Joey Gatewood or something. But I, I definitely I've come around on it to the, to the at least the idea of him developing and and him probably not getting the best unlocking uh, of his potential type of coaching at Florida. Maybe there is something something more for him there, but I think it it is pretty theoretical, and I give him like a twenty percent chance of of actually uh, getting there. And it, it I think that there's an eighty percent chance on the other end of it that he's out of the league in a couple of years. It's really bad um, that type of thing. So. I think it's a thin margin for error as far as he goes. And then Stroud just like he just kind of strikes me as slightly better Dwayne Haskins or something. He's playing on easy mode. Yeah, he definitely was, but it's just I don't know. I mean, I feel like I see more zip from Stroud. Uh I think Stroud will be a more actionable runner in the NFL than young. Like part of the young problem too is it's like someone as small as him who's gonna have some of the throwing velocity some of the throwing platforms, some of the throwing angle limitations that he has would ideally be able to run to, uh, because it's probably a pretty good, you know, he's probably quick and fast and stuff like that. And it'd be nice to be able to, to make some kind of production out of that. But I don't know if he can take like a tackle in the NFL, yeah. you know, especially from a front seven kind of guy. So uh, yeah, I'm worried about, I, 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 I'm worried about young playing at all, you know, real NFL football, but um it's 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 also harder for me to to make the leap of faith than in Richardson's case because I just didn't see projectable tools really like I didn't I would have liked to see like some wheels you know to be like oh well if he adds twenty pounds if he looks bulky like Kyler Murray at least he'll still run a four or five and we can use him as a runner then but like I don't really see that and it's like I I wish he could uh, really strike any you know either corner downfield. Uh, to, to capitalize on the great anticipation and placement abilities that he might have. But it's like, I, I don't know if he can get the ball from point A to point B in the time required in the NFL. Um, so, th- so that kind of stuff is worrying to me. Whereas with Richardson, it's like, yeah, I, I don't know what, you know, uh, 
I don't know what he's actually like good at right now, but at least if a for me too, I, I like kind of saw Josh Allen that way. Like watching Josh Allen at Wyoming is like watching someone just crash a vehicle over and over and over. And uh, yet he kind of, that maybe it's maybe it's a miraculous thing with like Dable and the confluence of like Dable and Stefan Diggs and everything else. Maybe that's exactly what it took and nothing less than that would have gotten Josh Allen to where he was. But um, I worry that Young couldn't do, you know, anything in any scenario, basically. But uh, yeah, the current betting markets say I'm just totally wrong. So that's also worth keeping in mind here. It's It's still just like Bryce Young first overall everywhere that I look. And then, uh, but Richardson's been surging. Like it, it was. Yeah, I mean that could be more was like crazy long shot. This is mm-hmm. expense because like no one wants to fight for Will Levis all of a sudden. It's like even the people who were kind of reflexively hyping him started watching more and were like, I, I don't really know if I want to stick with this one, uh, which is which is understandable and you know fair enough. I, I get it. I, I, I definitely thought about things about players and then watched closer and then was like, oh, I, I was wrong. I still need to to go over it with a fine tooth comb, um, but I think it's a little bit easy to to hate completely on Will Levis. I think that there is some stuff there. Um, I, I think that this past I mean, year is just he's going to be like a twenty four year old rookie, and you know it is concerning enough, I guess, that Richardson as a true sophomore couldn't beat out uh, what's his name that soap Emory Jones. But mm-hmm. it's way more concerning to me that as a third-year player, Will Levis couldn't beat out Clifford or whatever his name is at I, Penn State. I, I, I blame James Franklin for that one. Fair enough, yeah. Anyway, um, that, that's, but, like a, that's like total nightmare stuff to me right there. <laughs> Fair. Um, I, I think you also you look at the good year for, for Levis back in 2021. Is he a Wandale Robinson merchant? You know, yes. like so much, so much of of the production was tied directly to Robinson. There was like no one else doing anything in that I've never offense. Never seen anything like that. Forty six no, plus percent. Never weird. seen anything like it. Uh, DJ Moore, like basically, and no one was hyping CJ Brown or or whatever. I think DJ Moore Maryland's was quarter. Wasn't DJ Moore at like forty? I feel like it was. I, I'll go back and look at some point because yeah, it's. If it wasn't DJ Moore, then it was a, then it was a record because it, it had to be DJ Moore otherwise. Yeah, um, but then you you go to this year with Levis, and here's where I'll I'll like do a little bit of excusing for for him. I, I think that he battled through an ankle injury that that most guys wouldn't have played on. Um, I, I think that it happened maybe in the Ole Miss game. Uh, he also had his finger go like completely sideways in that one, and he kept playing. I think he's like. Just insanely tough. Um, I think that the ankle injury can be explained away in the uh, production. Uh, he was routinely running for over 250, 300 yards in, in his previous uh, seasons, uh, even when he wasn't a full-time starting quarterback. And then this year is like minus 100-something. So I, I think that his mobility was sapped. So I don't think that he was able to do the full assortment of things that he's capable of doing this past year. And I, I give him credit for like gutting it out and playing through it, even though things were going pretty bad at Kentucky, especially uh, relative to expectations. But I, I think that you can also point to the fact that he's not overly accurate. I think that he has some pretty dumb decision-making um, and tries to do too much. Um, but I think he also is athletic and has a good arm. Oh yeah. Those things are definitely true. Uh, and, you know, criticisms that I make of Levis are within the frame of him being uh, pushed as like a first overall top five sort of pick, which it still seems like he's going to be, by the way, like I, I would a say, 
I still think it's much more likely that Will Levis goes first overall than Young. And B, I still think Levis is going to go in the top five or something like that. I just think, I, I, I simply believe about Levis that if certain concessions that are generally made for him, that for the people that make the most aggressive uh, pro Will Levis's cases, the standards that they apply, if standard if uh, applied to every other player, would grant a very inclusive sort of, uh, you know, top ten quarterback grade. Like there's a lot of guys who didn't go in the top ten, who didn't go even in the first like 45 picks, who would go in the top five if the same reasonings were granted to them that they are with Levis and there's a case to make that those guys you know maybe should have had such a case uh, but I don't I, I just I just think it's a lot for like the top 10 kind of range especially because right now he's all tools which is to say he's a case like Anthony Richardson but he's older and the tools are not as loud mm, okay all right yeah I think that that's that's a fair uh, summation for sure I think yeah Richardson has a longer way to go, but you know, has a more forgivable, um, you know, lead up r- runway to, to get there as opposed to Levis, who, like you said, uh, is a little bit older, also, um, eats the bananas with the peel on and puts mayonnaise in his coffee and all that weird stuff. I'm sorry, is that real? Yes, that is. I'm not even, I couldn't make that up. I, I don't think my brain could conjure that type of stuff, but right. uh, well, no, if something's wrong that, with him and he's clearly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's, he's more screwed up than a soup sandwich. <laughs> and on that note uh we are going to take a quick break uh hear a message from our friends over at blue wire we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right. So we just talked a lot of quarterbacks. Let's get into some guys who are actually going to be working out and guys whose uh, athletic testing we we do actually care about uh, here at the NFL Combine. So, Mario, we, we talked a lot about Quentin Johnson uh, the last week. Um, have we talked enough in your mind about uh, the likes of Jordan Addison um, and and Zay Flowers and some of the other kind of like smaller uh, receiver types in this class. Well, I I think it's a pretty nice receiver class and there's, there's a good amount of like variation in it too. Uh, Like there's um, for, for a lot of teams that have varying needs, there's a lot of candidates that they can look at and it's kind of convenient for the teams, less convenient maybe for the receivers and for their, their, uh, their fantasy stock. But because a lot of them are borderline specialists or at least guys who are not completely well-rounded, they also have like narrower markets and teams can, they might think they can kind of get away with waiting till the next round to get them. Uh, thus, you know, damaging their, their draft stock by a round. But uh, in that middle round, middle round range, I actually consider Zay Flowers one of the lesser prospects. Like I really just don't know what the, what the big deal is. I, I mean, I know he's a really good college player. I know he's got good production at Boston college, but um, it's, it's easy to miss stuff like this, but his true freshman year where he was totally fine. He didn't do bad or anything. And he didn't do bad at any point either. Uh, I think it's just, it's kind of hard to be a definite top three round receiver as a prospect. Um, unless, or particularly when you're small, uh, unless you're clearly an above average athlete for your frame, which I'm not convinced flowers actually is, or uh, B, you have like, production so good so both volume sense and efficiency sense that there's reason to believe that there's a skill set there that kind of like transcends the, the frame and its limitations and was a flowers he was 19 his true freshman year which means he he could have stood to do a little better basically he had like 300 yards and three touchdowns which is fine um but again we're talking high bar to to get definitely graded as like a top four top three round kind of nfl receiver prospect and uh, his other years, while while good, while great in terms of general college football play, um, were not both high volume and high efficiency. There was a lot of volume at times, but the efficiency would lag. Um, right. And so I think he had a lot of good plays, clearly, on tape. He's a great like highlight reel guy, a great DFS pick kind of guy. Um, but I think he was basically – he was it was a little bit of like a big fish in a small pond kind of thing. And uh, I, I think ultimately – He's like more moxie and skill set than he is tools. And I think that there are other guys with frames like him who are a little bit faster and have comparable production who are kind of getting ignored. And like, for instance, uh, I would, I would bet just about anything. Uh, no one else is allowed to, no one, no one's allowed to take my stupid thoughts and bet on them based on them. Like only I can do that. Uh, but one thing that I would bet basically anything on is that Tyler Scott, the Cincinnati receiver is going to go at least a full round. And I would sooner bet two rounds ahead of Zay flowers. And yet the Ooh. general, like if you look at like the, an underdog, you'll see Zay flowers go in like the eighth and ninth round and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he has a prayer of going before Tyler Scott. I don't think there's, I don't, I really don't believe there's even a slight chance of that. And uh, so I'm, I'm off of flowers at the current price to me. He's, Honestly, to me, he's more like a Jalen Darden kind of prospect than what Ooh. a lot of people are hoping for. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's just it's just I, I think I think he's just kind of uh, going to be a guy we forget about. Like, there, there's no obvious thing better about Flowers to me than even guys like 
Uh, Jaden Reed, the Michigan State, Western Michigan guy, like he's, he's a round three to five kind of guy to me. Uh, I'll take Jalen Cropper over uh, Zay Flowers any day of the week. No question. Clearly better player in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty low on Flowers, as you can tell. But also, for what it's worth, I still think he'd be a totally good like round four pick. It's just that he's getting a first-round hype right now, and it, there's no way in hell. Not, not a chance. <sighs> Breaks my heart, but, you know. Truth going hurts. in the fourth round Sometimes. is still a pretty magnificent, uh, you know, life triumph. And, and still, also, it leaves him with a totally decent chance to play, by the way. I'm just saying, like, because he's probably slot limited and he's probably not going to be a burner type. Like, you got it. You got like a narrower path. It's a, it's a harder path to walk than the guys who are bigger and faster and younger than you. So the, the, the tweet this week where he's put on 12 pounds of muscle didn't, didn't do it for you. <laughs> Okay, so um, <laughs> it's good to it's good to bulk up a little bit, and clearly he's like a really hard worker. He's in great shape. Uh, that's that's all good stuff. But there's a possibility that all that tape at Boston College and all the numbers that he accumulated at Boston College were plays that he he ran at 170 something. So mm-hmm. yeah, he's up to 182. Can he still make those same plays? Is he as fast at that weight as he was at the lower weight? It's possible that he is, in which case that's all, you know, that's all just gains for him. No, no, no problems. And sometimes that does happen. But sometimes, too, guys will bulk up and they'll lose a little bit more of a step than they thought they would. Right. Yeah. So that that's totally fair. And yeah, people do, you know, it happens in fighting. It happens in, in this. They, they they kind of manipulate their weight around uh, a workout or a combine or a way in that, that type of thing. And then it, it's not actually... Uh, like that, uh, some other receivers who who uh, who have your eye this week that that could um, kind of drastically uh, change their draft stock. Honestly, I want to try to go like just rapid fire through a bunch because I think they're pretty much all Please. interesting in some. But Jordan Addison, like we skip him so much, and like the we skip the athleticism points with him so much because it's kind of just like we're moving on to things that are more unsettled, or, or at least in theory, that's what we're doing. Addison uh, is a quick study. And, and is, you know, such a quick study that you can kind of miss the fact that he's also a great looking athlete, at least functionally. He uh, he's just so springy and he does he does so much, um, you know, contortionist stuff that uh, and, and this makes sense. Like you would look at his numbers at Pittsburgh and you'd be like, there's no way a player can do this unless he's some kind of plenty good athlete. But some four, mm-hmm. six, five guy is not doing this. And uh, I think it's safe to assume something like that with Addison. But, yeah, he's. He's, he's going to be kind of skinny-ish. So, like, best-case scenario, his stock meets a, a level of similar to, like, where Devontae Smith was, which is personally where I do hold him. I hold him in that exact sort of esteem. But, you know, when, it's, when you're that skinny, it's a narrower path, you know? So it's like, it is possible that Addison runs, like, a four four eight or something that's generally pretty good, but it's just not that impressive because he's 175 or whatever. Um, but, yeah, that, to me, is more like the difference between him being a Jamar Chase level prospect and being a Devonte Smith level prospect. So um, uh, I'm not prepared to see any red flags unless it's like a four, six that he runs. I just, I consider it literally impossible. I think, I think he looks uh, quite athletic on tape, uh, but yeah, we don't, we already talked about uh, Smith and Jigba. Basically it's like, if he runs f- better than a four, six, it's all gravy there. Uh, I'd like to see Xavier Hutchinson be closer to the four five range and then the four six range. I, I think that's a, it's like a worry for him that he's maybe too slow to have his otherwise really solid game translate to the NFL level. 
Uh, Tyler Scott, by the way, sh- uh, should run something like a four three five at worst. The, the Cincinnati player page claims he can run faster than a four three flat, but that's a lot of the times just kind of shoddy information. It's them hyping Still. up, yeah. Well, sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not, and it's like these are like handheld timers. They're on like pro day tracks. It's like the conditions couldn't be more favorable. I only mentioned that like I know that AJ Dillon did some spring testing along those lines, and it turned out he he had the exact same workout numbers at the combine. It's just that's not always how it works. Um, but yeah, uh, Jalen Hyatt should run something like a low four three himself. I'm, I want to see Marvin Mims a lot. There's a bunch of guys like Marvin Mims, Preston Washington, uh, sorry, uh, Parker Washington. Um, uh, Rakeem Jarrett, Jarrett. Like these guys, these guys all are guys who, if they run really well, they they gain something in their profile that I don't think the current market is granting them. So with with Mims, he's he's really interesting because he was sick uh, his his uh, true freshman season, uh, and then just kind of dropped off uh, in that Oklahoma offense that the following year. But I, I never felt like it was his fault specifically i felt like the offense just kind of was goofy that way or that they were misusing him that obviously like they they used a lot of mario williams uh that that year back in 2021 a lot of Jaden hazelwood theo wees um just like too too many cooks in the kitchen basically and like his his role changed but this past year i felt like he was good but oklahoma just kind of got ignored on on the national scale at least relative to to normal because they stunk relative to to normal but i felt like mims was still good this past year and that there was just kind of some other details about oklahoma that that maybe kind of covered that uh or would lead you to to kind of skip it ignore it uh what have you but um do do you what kind of player in your mind is mims like what what are the strengths there what what are the potential weaknesses and what what could he do this week to to kind of sure up his stock Well, I thought he did a great job at Oklahoma, but uh, he just had a weird trajectory, like you said, and he didn't, uh, especially for a player who was so insanely explosive and efficient as he was, he never had his volume really break out like players like him usually do. And specifically, uh, his true freshman year was spectacular and put him like very reliably on the NFL radar alone because he led them in all receiving categories as a true freshman, uh, 600 yards, nine touchdowns in 11 games. Even then, though, he was not drawing target volume. He didn't even get five targets a game. He was just doing incredible damage per target. Uh, Nine touchdowns, 12 yards a target on 51 targets. That's crazy. Uh, And even the next year when the volume got even worse, 41 targets in 13 games, he still somehow does 705 yards and five touchdowns, uh, 17 yards a target. And then this year, it's almost the same story again, like slightly more volume. Uh, He's got 91 targets in 13 games. Uh, 11.9 yards per target. So that kind of, those kinds of consistently over year over year, uh, high yards per target kind of numbers at team leading figures. That's something that um, not many players do that. And, and he'd have to be kind of a straight up bad athlete to not have, I don't know, like at least like a 600 snap sort of uh, role in the NFL year to year. And I guess with Mims, all I personally need to see is like a pretty good 40, uh, but also just the same. He kind of needs a good 40. Him and Josh Downs both need a pretty good 40 at their weights, and they have similar frames. They have similar concerns, similar upsides mm-hmm. if they do prove to be fast. So uh, for me, like Mims is going into this a lot closer to Downs than most people would have the two of them. 
and uh, basically, it's, I, I'm making like that connect. I'm bridging the, what otherwise might seem like a gap because Mims was so insanely automatic when they would throw him the ball. Uh, but just the same, um, it's possible that Mims is not a volume capable receiver. It's possible that uh, you know maybe he can't do better than like 70 targets per 700 snaps or something like that. Maybe I don't know why that would be. Like I didn't see him obviously getting jammed up or anything. Like, but the problem is like. Big 12, especially, you never see man coverage and you see a lot of just looks that won't exist in NFL defenses. So there's a lot of situations where Mims is maybe running free and the, yeah. you know, it's schemed open by the Oklahoma offense that maybe he can't get himself and maybe it won't be there in the NFL. So the, the, the faster he is, the less I get concerned about that being the case. The the downs thing is is interesting because like you said the the frames are are almost identical but like the production profiles are very different in in that downs was almost like overused like UNC was overly reliant on him especially these these last two years yeah and um not not to change it uh to, too much but like Raheem Jarrett actually had totally clean numbers to me at Maryland so if he runs well I don't really know what the concerns are at that point Parker Washington at Penn State also had insane numbers uh including as a true freshman when I think he must have been like 18 uh, like, I don't think he's one of those late for his class uh, or old for his class kind of guys. Um, but when you watch him, and this would make sense because he's bulky at a list at 5, 10, 2, 12, he doesn't look very fast and he doesn't really seem to separate. But he does do a lot of crazy, like, high pointing and he seems to have great ball skills. I just don't know if a, if a short, stocky receiver is in a position to really, like, capitalize on that trait in the NFL. But he was automatic at Penn State. And if he can run, if he's just point blank faster than I thought, that would make his numbers make more sense. Cause when you watch Parker Washington play, you're like, how is he even doing this? Like he doesn't really, he's not losing anybody. He's not fast, but he just keeps coming down with the ball over and over. But right. uh, it would be great to learn like, Oh, he's just faster than I thought he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely good playmaker, uh, especially over the, the last couple of years uh, at Penn state, but even uh, his freshman year uh, looking uh, pretty good. But uh, we consider him like a, a tick down from Dotson, though, correct? Oh, safely, yeah. Like Dotson, you could watch, and it's just like, oh yeah, this is this is an NFL receiver, obviously. Whereas mm-hmm. Washington, it's like he he could be like a Golden Tate kind of player, but that's those are like the only ways he can be. Like he's not going to be uh, as, as a short, stocky receiver. There's only so many good case outcomes we have as recent case studies, and it's like Golden Tate's one of the few. And he also surprised people with his 40, I want to say. I feel like he ran like a 4-4-2 or something like that at 200-plus. So um, even Golden Tate, even as a so-called slot receiver, was actually a very good athlete. And so Washington would ideally you know, be at least like a low 4-5 because then you don't worry so much about him getting just jammed up in the NFL. But if you're adding on mass and you're just getting heavier and heavier, and it doesn't actually go toward any utility. And I, I do worry about that a little bit with Washington. I'm like, what's is that from 205 to 215, is that really helping you in any way, or is it just kind of slowing you down and making you easier right. to get your hands on uh, from a corner's viewpoint? So uh, I have some concerns with Washington, but I, I want to like him because the production is pretty rare quality. Yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, strong, so definitely a guy to, to keep an eye on uh, this weekend. Any running backs that, that we haven't talked about or uh, tight ends that that um, have, have your attention this weekend? Believe it or not, there might be more to say about the tight ends, if only because we, we kind of 
I think we've picked apart the running backs pretty well. But uh, last thing yep. I'm going to mention, Israel Abanaconda is going to cost a lot. Tyler Scott, too, at uh, Cincinnati, uh, the receiver. Those two guys are going to cost a lot more on underdog best ball on Sunday night or Monday than they cost right now. Uh, both of them tend to be like last round pick kind of players. And uh, Abanaconda is going to weigh, I'd be surprised anyway, if he weighs in less than 210. And if, if he does, uh, I mean, I'm thinking 210, 445 kind of thing for Abanaconda. And uh, if he's if he's less than 210, then something in the 4-3 range is on the table, I think. But uh, he, he's like a little bit raw. Like I, I wouldn't go overboard on him and underdog. But I do think you want to buy a ton right now this next few days. If only because then you don't need to pick any for at least a few months while you see how the markets shape up. And uh, I'm worried about Abanaconda having kind of like a slow start and being kind of like a rushing specialist because he's so young. Like, I, I don't know. I think he's I think he's uh, going to turn 21 in season. Like, I'm pretty sure he was on field as a true freshman for Pittsburgh when he was still 17. So wow. uh, that's great for like his long term from scrimmage projection that he's so toolsy and so productive at such a young age. But it also means like, you know. It, it's also more likely that he's not going to be quite as professional or quite as uh, used to professional environments and as, as someone a little bit older than him. So, uh, but he's, he's going in like the last round. He can't hurt you there. I think he's going to be going in like the 12th, 13th round after the combine uh, because we have, we saw him run away from enough defenses. He's going to run something real fast. Keaton Mitchell is going to run something real fast. Uh, he's going to go higher on underdog after the combine. Uh, I want to, Ty J Spears is a player who I, I think people might think that I don't like, but I, I do like him. I'm just waiting to see more. Um, I saw that he, I, I didn't notice previously that he was at a two Oh four or something for the senior bowl, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, nine pounds higher than he was listed at. If he's two Oh four uh, Ty J Spears. And if he runs a sub four five at that weight, like that's, that probably puts him on pretty solidly in round three for me. Whereas uh, I, before I was a little concerned, like, what if he runs a four, five, three at one ninety five? Uh, then right. like, uh, maybe fourth or fifth round actually. But I, I'm, I'm less concerned about that than I was a few weeks ago. Um, I think that's about it for the running backs. Um, but yeah, John, at tight end. I, I had no idea that this was the case. Uh, so, so we all know about Michael Mayer. We talked about him a lot last week, Dalton Kincaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a lot of people know about too. He looks good. Um, I, I, the, the faster he can run, the better, obviously, but he, I would like to see him run some version of fast just because he is going to be 240 or less, and he never really broke out like we talked about until that other Utah tight end got hurt. Uh, but even after him, and even aside from Darnell Washington, who's also getting first round hype, excuse me, um, I saw Mel Kuyper and maybe some other people have Luke Musgrave projected as a first round pick, the Oregon State tight end. And People love Luke Musgrave. Yeah, uh, I thought he was fine. I I looked at him and looked at his numbers and I projected third or fourth round and I had no idea all this stuff was being said about him. So when I saw that, I was like, what the hell is going on? And um, turns out uh, Bruce Feldman, uh, whose freak listing is is a great resource. Uh, It's it's, you you need to have some a bit of like critical media reading, you know, glasses put on before you look at it. You have to send you have to kind of be on the lookout for some agendas because Bruce Feldman, he can't. Uh, you know, do like spy agency level investigations into every claim that gets sent to him by these coaches or their, you know, these players, right. parents, whatever the hell else. And I think in the case of Musgrave, oh, by the way, so I forgot to say, he said uh, he runs a four five one forty. Hey, if, if Musgrave runs a four five one forty at six six two fifty five, that is quite impressive. And I'm, I'm all of a sudden not so shocked to see him projected in the first round. I still don't quite see it, but at least 
if that's on the table, that's that's different than what I thought previously. However, that would be so strange if Luke Musgrave really ran a four five one forty at six six two fifty five because Oregon State receivers were trash. They really could have used that kind of athleticism, <laughs> that kind of downfield ability, running real routes, and instead. They have him uh, at, at age 22, or sorry, age 21 last year, two, two, you know, 2021. He had like 300 yards and one touchdown. Played pretty much the whole year. Like that's that's an age that a lot of underclassmen are already starting in NFL offenses. That's like more than a year older than Kyle Pitts was when he was in the NFL. And this six five, this six six, two fifty five, four five one forty running tight end can't get 325 yards or two touchdowns. Uh, I guess it could be possible, but if if that's true. Then it raises so many concerns about his skill set. You rule him out of the first two rounds on that basis. Like it's it's great to see a toolsy player, but if they're really toolsy and they're not doing anything, that's that's a bad indicator for their skill set. So uh, I see Luke Musgrave as a pretty good uh, round, maybe two. I guess he's going to go in the round two if this is what people are if he runs something like that. Uh, but what I think what's going to happen here is he's going to run a four six one or four six two. The four five one time that he was quoted at was run on a fast probably rubber track with handheld timers. Uh, also worth knowing Luke Musgrave's uncle uh, was a, was a coach in the NFL and is currently some kind of uh, figure for the Browns. So uh, his family's very influential in Oregon football scene. Uh, they probably are the people who gave Feldman the four five one and Feldman probably didn't want to, you know, do too much sniffing around at the risk of alienating a powerful football family. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. All right. So Musgrave, uh, burden of proofs on him. Run that four or five. See what he does uh, there this weekend. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's talk some best ball. Before we do that, got a message from our friends over at our favorite best ball website. That would be Underdog Fantasy. The 2022 NFL season is over, but the fantasy football season never stops at Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy football. Right now, you can draft in Underdog's The Big Board Tournament with $1 million in total prizes and $200,000 given out to first place. Think you know which incoming rookies will burst onto the scene in 2023? If so, now's your chance to draft them all at a value. All you have to do is join The Big Board Draft, your fantasy team, and that's it. In best ball, there's no waivers, no trades, and you get the best scores in your starting lineup each week of the season. And whoever has the highest scores at the end of the season win. Just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or the Google Play Store. Sign up with the promo code RWNFL. Not only will you get your first deposit doubled up to $100, but we will also hook you up with a six-month subscription to everything Rotowire has to offer for free. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code RWNFL. Again, that's promo code RWNFL. So we're going to take a, a slight detour off the rookies, just for a moment. We're talking about some guys that we are fading at current ADP, talking about guys in the first five rounds. So ideally, we're going to try to get uh, to five fades, one from each round here. Uh, Mario, who's someone that's going in the first round that you're off of at, at ADP? Well, there's a, there's a few guys, but the biggest one, the one that I've got circled is, and I'm, I'm really surprised that he's back up this high again, Christian McCaffrey, uh, who goes third overall and is actually slipping a little bit, to be fair to the the underdog ADP. I don't know if it's uh, I don't know if McCaffrey's liable to slip further. The next player up is Travis Kelsey at a, a hefty 1.7 later in the ADP, nearly tied with uh, Cooper Cup at 5.0. Uh, 
Maca- I think McCaffrey was going second overall ahead of Jamar Chase previously, but now it's going Jefferson, Chase, McCaffrey. Still don't want McCaffrey at three. Um, there's a few reasons. I guess the quickest one is I don't want to take McCaffrey at three in a market where Jonathan Taylor goes 12, 14, 15. Uh, oftentimes, Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley go later than B. John Robinson, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. So and in that sense, I'm fading B. John Robinson in the first round. But I think I'd rather have B. John at 12 still than McCaffrey at three. Uh, and that's that's not me hating McCaffrey. It's just I, I'm worried about the durability of a guy who has his injury history at his age. Uh, of his yep. build too it's it's different than derrick henry being uh, a 245 pseudo human uh christian mccaffrey's more mortal sized and uh his injuries are, are still recent and still real yes uh, absolutely so him at him at three is interesting and and you know the, he definitely had a, a good share of the workload there in san francisco but uh you know he definitely just has those durability concerns and if they have running back depth they're, they're smart to you know take couple carries couple catches off his plate uh when they can so yeah the, it might be a little bit maxed out um but I, i'm less skeptical of him in the first round now than i was this time last year where he was still like a top three pick and it was like haven't we not seen what just happened in the last two seasons um but even still i, I think you, your point is well taken I like going receiver, if possible is the main thing i i i, I want to be getting that taylor pick at 13 but if not i want to go receiver and then go at the running backs personally speaking wow. of receiver i that's where my fate is uh for for this uh first round cooper cup it, it's not just all like a, a penalty off of last year but i do feel like the rams are in general um a team that is going to struggle Again, this year, maybe not to the extent that they did uh, in 2022, but um, I, I do worry about that offense in general. I worry, I, I guess the, the the further that we get into the offseason and the less we hear that Stafford's retiring, uh, as, then you have to assume that that at least that factor will, will be uh, there in place for him. But I'm just not spending um, a top five pick on, on Cooper Cup, and that that's where he's at. I'm taking uh, Tyreek Hill. Uh, over him, I would even take uh, Stefan Diggs over him. Uh, next round up, who who are you fading in the second round? For me in the second round, it's clearly uh, Kenneth Walker. I wanted to say, uh, what did I want to say, I want to say B. John Robinson, but uh, Kenneth Walker has has such a, there's such a weird understanding people have the dynasty the the fantasy scene understanding of Kenneth Walker Ken Walker sorry so weird. Uh, because Rashad Penny got hurt and Walker finished well last year, and because a lot of people had uh, pre-registered valuations of Walker based on the basis of dynasty rankings, which were made mostly on the basis of draft capital rather than even anything about uh, who Kenneth Walker is as a player, uh, there's this assumption that just like, oh, he's out now. It's a the beast is loose. He's he's like a top five running back. That's it. Nothing to see here. Look, man, if Rashad Penny resigns with Seattle. Walker's a landmine until like the sixth round and people have been taking him in like the top 15, stuff like that. Rashad Penny started over him and was more productive than him, which he did with, he was also more productive the year prior before he got hurt with a season ending injury. And now he's a free agent uh, who is old and has a recent injury, not old truly, but you know, he has an injury history. He's going to be cheap in free agency and the Seahawks like him. We know that because he started over Walker last year. If Penny gets re-signed, Walker's not getting the like, I don't know, uh, 200 carries. 
250 Oof. carries. So, uh, yeah, pe- I mean, Penny or Penny gets hurt again, but that's what they need to happen in that case. And uh, I feel like Walker's current ADP just thinks like, oh, he's going to get 20, 25 carries a game. Like He might not. And if he doesn't, he's in trouble because there's not much he can do as a pass catcher. No, but yeah, he definitely is still uh, a little bit limited uh, in that facet. My my thought was was Brees Hall, but that would be cheating a little bit as far as the second round. He's an early uh, third round pick, but I'm I'm still a little bit dubious on him even there coming off of uh, the ACL. But my my third round fade would be would be Ramondre Stevenson um, for for the Patriots. I just think that's a, it's a bit high. Uh, I think the offense isn't going to be fixed necessarily. I think there were some things last year that he benefited from because the offense was so busted. I, I think that this year it looks, looks different. And, you know, I think last year was like definitely going to be his high watermark as far as pass catching goes. Um, it's not an awful pick, but it's one that I'm not making very often in the third. Yeah, I agree. Stevenson seems like a really good player, but uh, some of the, some of the on pace for type stats that people have noted with him over uh, recent snapshots of his career were clearly unsustainable in each case, but they sort of just kind of stayed baked into, you know, his legend. And uh, like, he's still, he's still getting picked in fantasy off of an 80 yard preseason touchdown, you know? Uh, So Stevenson's a good player, but he's also one of those guys that too many people have wanted to see their fan fiction come to life through for so long that it's just like irresistible. Uh, But yeah, I hope, I would like to see this, the Patriots offense look solvent. That would do that would do a lot for me to get over Stevenson because I want to buy in. But uh, I'll say Debo Samuel. Uh, I think he's an awesome player. But uh, going in the top 32 picks, uh, we don't know. I, I, I am assuming anyway that Trey Lance will be starting for the 49ers. And I don't think that bodes that well for the pass attempt volume. And uh, it, with the durability concerns that Debo has, even aside from the nature of his work, I mean, he got hurt a decent amount, even at South Carolina where they didn't use him as a running back. Uh, I'm, just worried, I'm worried that there's a good amount of risk there with Debo and not enough upside to make it worth it. Even though I think he's, you know, a total maniac. Yeah. And no, that, that's definitely fair with regards to durability. And then, yeah, if the, if the offense uh, is led by Lance and then, yeah, you have to figure that that uh, target volume projection has to come down um, a decent bit. In the fourth, who's off your radar? Uh, sorry, in the fourth here, 36, 39, okay. Um, definitely don't want anything to do with uh, There's a few guys I don't like in this range. Uh, I was I, out on Christian Watson. Uh, that's one of them for me, but even more so, I really don't like uh, TJ Hawkinson, and I also am not a fan of Pittman that much. But uh, with Watson, I, I also have concerns. Like I, I don't think he's volume capable in any offense. And uh, thus, I think he's kind of like big play dependent, very big play capable, certainly, but sure. big play dependent. And if you're going from Rodgers to Love, um, there's a risk that Love is a well below average starting quarterback. And then you're in a, you're talking about an offense that doesn't have big plays in the first place to distribute. So um, mm-hmm. I'm worried about Watson for that reason. But yeah, I, I hate this range kind of. Uh, I do, too, and, and de- definitely want to, you know, but like you were saying, get your receivers a little bit earlier, uh, maybe, maybe get. Uh, some running back action in this range because re- receiver is a little bit uh, grody uh, there. I'd also the take Kittle and... over Hawkinson. I'd, I'd, yes. No way in hell would I take Hawkinson over Kittle. No, 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 no. And then uh, rounding it out, uh, fifth round, where where are you uh, avoiding? I, there's a couple guys in here that I'm probably reaching for in the fourth if I get the wrong pick. Like I, I actually like Christian Kirk and 
Jerry Judy, Drake London, especially more than some of those. I got other guys I got Kirk in an underdog best ball this past week, right around there, and I was I was very happy with that. Yeah, I've seen some people take him ahead of Calvin Ridley, which I wouldn't do, but I I do think they're going to be pretty, maybe a little closer together than a lot of people think. Um, even DJ Moore in this range, I I really want to find guys like him, Terry McLaurin. I want to believe. It's always just like the quarterback question, but I, I feel like they're better players that have no worse of quarterback questions than certainly Watson and Ben Pittman in the round before. Anyway, to answer this stupid question, uh, or sorry, to give you my stupid response to a perfectly fine <laughs> question, uh, I, I'm going to, I'll go with Godwin uh, at 49.9 because um, I think Godwin's awesome, but with with Kyle Trask at quarterback, I just even if Evans has gone somewhere else, it's like Godwin's target volume is already maxed out. I feel like, I feel like only thing that can happen if Evans leaves is Godwin's efficiency starts to fall off. Um, yeah. And he's, he's got, he played, he's taken so many hits for Brady the past couple of years and he already had been a little bit injury prone. So uh, I hate that it's the case, but I'm worried for Godwin's uh, playing circumstances. Yeah. I think, I think he's, he's also um, that, that question mark. Uh, there in the fifth round, and and some of those other receivers might even take in the fourth, uh, like you mentioned. So I think good summation of the of how to uh, avoid some of those early round landmines. It's so important to you know make sure that you're at least kind of to use a, a baseball term hitting a double uh, with your uh, first few picks and and not just striking out horribly and having your pants uh, fall down around your ankles. So avoid those. Landmines. That's going to round it out for our uh, best ball segment. Again, sign up over at Underdog. Use that promo code RWNFL. Get that deposit mon- bonus matched up to 100 bucks. Get that six month subscription over to Ro- over to RotoWire. Uh, again, RWNFL. Uh, Mario, as we wind down here, put up an article with, with some other. Uh, best ball values, some guys to target a little bit later on. Uh, you mentioned the likes of Tyler Scott, Izzy Abanaconda, and Xavier Hutchinson in our rookie segment. Who are some vets that that are kind of on your radar later on uh, in drafts? Yeah, unfortunately, it's all receivers that I went with, and it's it's not truly late. Some of them are late, but a guy like Josh Palmer, uh, apparently you got to buy him now. I, I've, I've seen some chatter uh, around him because more people are noticing that the Chargers might cut Keenan Allen. And if they do, Palmer's going to go from the 10th round to like, God, I don't even want to think probably like the sixth or something like that, which you shouldn't buy at that point if he does. But that's why you're doing it now instead, John, uh, while he's in the 10th round. And uh, in the 10th round, even if they don't cut Allen, uh, Palmer plays a position in the offense that basically if Mike Williams or Keenan Allen gets hurt, either one of them, Palmer gets the gains. It pretty much just goes to him because Eckler's maxed out. Guys like Everett can't actually play. So it's like Palmer's hanging around. He gets that. Um, but it's obviously if, if they cut Allen, then he's he's going to be quite a bit more expensive. Um, other than him, I thought Van Jefferson, because I'm kind of just assuming at this point that uh, Matt Stafford will be playing with, with uh, the Rams this year. I'm actually pretty convinced that they'll bounce back better than people expect, at least, you know, relative to the incredible low point that they were this year. Um, I thought that at once the Rams always had a perilous lack of depth and, you know, had all these, you can see like if one thing goes wrong, it's all going to fall apart. I think it's as simple as that one thing did go wrong and it all did fall apart. Yeah. Um, Or rather two things wrong, Cooper cup or Matt Stafford, either one leaves the field. They're done. They go from like 
literally Super Bowl competitive to completely useless. But I also think it's the case that as long as Stafford and Cup are out there, that they really are a tough offense. And I think Jeff- Jefferson's going to be a guy who's hanging around. Should be another 800 yards, uh, whatever, seven, six touchdowns, something like that. You can get him very late. Uh, guys like Michael Gallup, uh, I think a guy like Michael Gallup, I think clearly was hurt last year. He's going at the uh, the 13th round. And I, I think it's a pretty safe assumption he'll be Dak Prescott's wide receiver too this year and draw target volume more like he did before the injury, in which case he's probably a, worth something. Oh, sorry. I, th- I just think Gallup's probably worth more like a ninth or 10th rounder than uh, the 13th. So, you know, and th- this ties into to last year's draft. Is Jalen Tolbert dust already? Is that over? <sighs> I don't know, man. I think so, but or at least it's a really bad sign that it's gone this way. But it is. I do remember reading. Boy, somebody there was, was some helium in like leading up to week one. There was some serious yeah, that was like. So weird. It was in um. It was like in August, early August. There were people hyping him as like, oh, he's gonna be. The, you know, I was shocked at how badly his rookie season went, and I was lower on him than I think most people. But I, I, I have no idea how it went that badly for Tolbert. It's not good though because he was already. 23 like he wasn't a young rookie and he couldn't get on the field over uh dennis houston or somebody like that i don't even know who that is yeah noah brown uh, just made him useless yeah at least noah brown they have that like they kind of do an h-back sort of tweener thing with him sometimes so i guess at least like tolbert can be like oh i'm too skinny to compete with him for that i needed to but still not beating out dennis houston i i I keep remembering that name, and then when I say it, I'm like, "That's not a real name." And I it think sounds that, that is the most '90s receiver sounding name. <laughs> yeah, so I think I think he's real, John, and I think he actually played ahead of Jalen Tolbert. So that's uh, that that is about as bad as as far as one single data point that you otherwise risk great overreaction toward goes. That's about as solid as it gets for writing off mm-hmm. Tolbert. Yeah, so so they're they're like you said. Uh, I'd like to see him do uh, well. Uh, Just like Gallup a lot more. And I think it's going to be, you know, Gallup, Brown, uh, Lamb, obviously. And I think that the Cowboys will draft someone fast, like, I don't know, Nathaniel Dell or somebody like that to to be a a role player that basically rotates with Brown, uh, depending on the personnel packages. Uh, But yeah, otherwise, uh, Valdez Scantling, I I don't think he's very good, but uh, he's going way too late, almost 170 in the ADP. It's like Juju Smith-Schuster and Michael Hartman are both free agents. Sky Moore, uh, I think he's going to be better next year, but we don't know that. I think Kadarius Toney could be better next year. We really don't know that. So um, Valdez Scantling's going too late. He he should be going more like in the 12th round, I think, something like that. So uh, I call these guys like glue guy picks because I think um, almost no matter what kind of build, what kind of stacks you're going to be going for. Otherwise, these are the kinds of guys who you want to be picking when you're not picking those other stack type things because uh, they fit with pretty much any look and they're cheap enough, largely because they are so cheap, they fit with pretty much anything. It's just like they're hanging around. They're a good way to patch up uh, your roster. And I don't think you're really going to hurt yourself. Like Even if these guys get hurt, uh, they're at prices so low that it's like uh, – you know, it's 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 hard to see them hurting you be relative to the upside, the the security, I should say, that they present. Because uh, if you if you're spending like a 17th round on uh, Van Jefferson and he gets you 800 yards, six touchdowns, seven touchdowns this year, that's great. That's that's doing a lot to raise your floor every single week, and you did it at basically no price. So uh, at least as long as Stafford is out there, I I like a guy like Jefferson. As long as Dak's out there, I like a guy like Gallup at these prices. Um, if the prices go higher, that's a different question. But right now they're they're so they're too low, basically, which is why 
uh, it's good to bulk up now on those types of players so that you don't have to later when people start to notice. Okay. I, I really like the, those calls. Um, you got a, you got a couple of questions, two very different players in, in different positions. One, one's a rookie, one's a, a second year guy. Uh, but one that I have a lot of interest in, um, I'll start with him before we, we round it out with the next guy, uh, Chig Okonkwo. Where are you with him? Love him. Yeah, yep. big fan. Um, he's probably my most owned tight end so far on underdog because I, I usually nice. take him like a round and a half earlier than the ADP. Um, I don't know if his ADP, his ADP might have gone up since the Robert Woods cut. I don't know. Uh, I didn't assume anything about Woods in particular, but I did assume Okonkwo is clearly a central piece of the Tennessee game plan going forward. Um, he had a pretty good target rate just in general uh, for a rookie tight end. But particularly when you look at that last like month and a half, they started targeting him like he was a focal point of their offense. And that includes mm-hmm. lining him up in places other than just tight ends. So admittedly, I'll get a little nervous about a Conquo if the Titans re-sign Austin Hooper or something like that. But I'm not I'm still not out. I'm still not even in practice like concerned because uh the the most comparable player probably going in his range is like Greg Dulcich, who uh well established. Obviously I'm not like a huge <laughs> fan of him, so I it's just not my kind of player. Um I think Akonkwo having actual wheels. So he's basically like the same size as Dulcich, but he could just like like Albert Uquegwinem, who is much heavier than Dulcich. Akonkwo uh, at the same weight is much faster than Dulcich. And um, that's not just practically useful for like underneath yards after the catch purposes, although it certainly is. Akonkwo lining up at receiver, running like real post routes off the play action like he was last year. That's stuff Dulcich can't do. And even if he does it, he's too slow to do it half as well. So uh, you might see a Conquo become their lead pass catcher. You might see even Traylon Burks be lower in the, the target order than a Conquo, at least for this year, because a Conquo's a little bit older than him. And I mean, is safely more toolsy than him and was basically uh, an equal to him in the rotation in that final month and a half. Yep. So big fan of his uh, go Terps, little, little Maryland action, getting, getting some shine. We love to see it. And then uh, finishing it out, uh, Sean Tucker from Syracuse. I know kind of going all over the place here towards the end, but I don't feel like I've been able to pinpoint exactly where where you're at with with Tucker. So going into this weekend, uh, do you like him? What do you expect from him? And, uh, you know, what, um, you know, do you like him at at the ADP? It's actually very comparable to where Oconquo is um, just a, a bit higher, like a, pick 138 that's too early for me i like tucker I, I hope he tests well at the combine and if he does test well at the combine i'll probably have to move him up in my own rankings but at that point i'm apparently only just then reaching the, the current adp's valuation of him so uh if he runs i don't know what i expect him to he, the heavier he weighs in at the less he needs to burn up the track uh I'm worried that it's going to be a little disappointing, whatever way uh, he's, he's got a great skill set grade because he was super productive at Syracuse, uh, including as a workhorse. Like he, he knows how to play that role of, of getting mm-hmm. just pretty much every touch there is to give out. And he seems pretty good as a pass catcher. So he, he, he in the NFL, he could be like a part-time, you know, pass catching kind of guy. He doesn't, he doesn't he's not going to be a workhorse the same way, but he could be a good pass catching kind of, you know, hurry up type of third down type of back or, uh, he could, if he, if he, 
don't know if he tests a certain way, he could be a good guy on first and second down too. Uh, he's one of those guys who could definitely do it at the college level. And now we're waiting to see whether he has the tools for his abilities to manifest similarly at the next level. And uh, in the meantime, I'm just like totally agnostic. I don't know how to call it. Like I wouldn't be shocked if Tucker's a little bit disappointing of an athlete. There are many more players. Like there's tons and tons of guys that you just cannot remember over the years who were really great college backs like him and just kind of disappeared after that because they just didn't really have the wheels or were just kind of too small to do much more. Uh, like, for instance, Tucker's worst case scenario for me is probably something like Eno Benjamin, uh, which would be a huge disappointment. But, like, Eno Benjamin was hyped as, like, a day two kind of pick uh, before his draft. Uh, Tucker kind of has a similar career trajectory, similar kind of concerns. Like, killer college player, but we don't know how fast he is. We don't know how heavy he is. And the worse those answers are for him, uh, the easier it is for him to slip in the draft, which has depth and varied, uh, varied, varying skill sets. So, uh, yeah, like whatever Tucker's good at, there's a chance that there's two or three or four other guys who are good at it in this draft. And if he runs worse than them, jumps worse than them, he's at risk of falling behind them. No, exactly. So I'm I'm looking at him kind of factoring in day three. I'm anxious. Uh, I hope he does yeah. well, but I'm anxious about it. Yeah, he's a funny Twitter follow um, dur- during his time at Syracuse. Always tweeting out his stat lines, saying whether or not he was pleased, uh, pleased spelled with uh, his number 34 uh, in the hat. He'll be on a roster for sure. I, I don't mean to make him sound like a practice squatter, but yeah, he he's he's definitely better than a guy like Ty Chandler or whatever. But I, I, I do worry that he ends up in that fifth round kind of range. Yeah, and from there, like you said, could uh, end up just kind of being one of those guys we forget about. So that's going to wrap it up for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, breaking down the combine, breaking down some best ball, uh, breaking down some other odds and ends here. It is March after all, so you just kind of kind of spray the board a little bit. Uh, but again, that's going to do it for us here. And a, a big, again, big thanks to our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. If you haven't somehow signed up already at, at Underdog, use that promo code RWNFL, get that deposit bonus match get that rotowire subscription for mario puig i'm john mckechnie thanks for listening try rotowire today free for 10 days get our premium tools rankings analysis and breaking news alerts no credit card required go to rotowire.com forward slash try